Welcome to Prep Talk, the emergency management podcast. Find out what you need to know about preparedness, get all the latest tips from experts in the field, and learn what to do before the next disaster strikes. From the emergency management department in the city that never sleeps, here are your hosts, Omar Bourne and Allison Panisi. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening. I'm Omar Bourne. And I'm Allison Panisi. And you are our listeners, and as always, we thank you for joining us. We want you to come back as often as you can, so feel free to listen to Prep Talk on your favorite podcast provider. You can also follow us on social media, on our Twitter at NYC Emergency MGT, Facebook, Instagram, and much more. New York City Emergency Management recently started a new speaker series for its staff called Lessons in Leadership, which highlights the professional journeys of leaders in the emergency management and public safety fields. Today's special guest, Marty Bomande, knows firsthand some of the challenges of leading during a crisis. That's right, Omar. Mr. Bomande is the director of the Disaster Operations Division of FEMA's Office of External Affairs. In his role, he leads a team of nearly 600 people who are trained and deployed to support disaster operations across the country. He has led many external affairs operations of national significance, including but not limited to response to Hurricane Katrina in 2005, Hurricane Sandy in 2012, and Hurricanes Harvey and Maria in 2017. We are looking forward to hearing from Mr. Bomande, but before we dive in, you know what time it is. Let us get you up to date on the latest news in the emergency management field. Here's your Prep Talk Situation Report. All right, this is the Situation Report. Let's get started. Thank you, Allison. Our first story comes from New York City. The city has deployed a number of personnel to Puerto Rico to help with response efforts following the recent earthquakes. These include building engineers and inspectors, mental health and public health emergency management professionals, and emergency managers. Now, during the deployment, the teams will work closely with local municipalities to conduct structural assessments, coordinate resources, and provide counseling and psychological aid to help individuals cope with the recent events. Since the end of December, numerous earthquakes and aftershocks have devastated the island, driving thousands of people to outdoor shelters. To date, 71 New York City personnel have been deployed to assist with the response efforts. Thanks, Omar. Recently, a powerful magnitude 7.7 earthquake struck off the coast of Jamaica. Fortunately, there have been no initial reports of major damage or deaths. Following the earthquake, the Pacific Tsunami Warning Center issued a tsunami threat for Belize, Cuba, Honduras, Mexico, the Cayman Islands, and Jamaica, but later canceled after the danger had passed. The quake was felt as far as Miami, with some buildings even evacuating. And that is the Situation Report. Still to come, we will be speaking with FEMA's Marty Bamonde, but first... Here is a public service announcement from New York City Emergency Management and the Ad Council. Your daughter doesn't want to talk about why her room is a horrible mess. Your son doesn't want to talk about why he's wearing mismatching socks. Your spouse doesn't want to talk about their bad haircut. Families don't have to talk about everything, but they should talk to plan for an emergency. Pack basic supplies in a go bag, water, canned food, flashlights, batteries, medical supplies, IDs, and some cash. Talk about where you'll meet in case you lose one another. And of course, don't forget to pack the dog treats. 
Talk to your family and make an emergency plan. Go to nyc.gov slash readyny or call 311 to make your family's emergency plan. Brought to you by New York City Emergency Management and the Ad Council. You're listening to Prep Talk, the emergency management podcast. You are listening to Prep Talk, and we are back. Let us welcome our special guest to the show, FEMA's Marty Bamande. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, you have an impressive professional career, and you started in radio and TV. You actually studied radio and TV in undergrad, and then physical therapy in graduate school. So I got to ask, can you share a little about your career path? that led you to FEMA. Talk to us about the radio and the TV and then physical therapy because I'm intrigued. (laughs) Sure. I grew up always wanting to be a TV sportscaster. That was my dream from the moment I was watching TV. Uh, And I achieved it. Went to school, got a radio TV degree, got a job in television, was a TV sportscaster, loved it. Moved Mm -hmm. to the island of Guam um, to continue that TV career. But while I was there, uh, for four years, experienced seven typhoons. And wow. this relief agency kept coming out. I mean, because we had some major typhoons. Mm-hmm. We didn't have power or water for a month. And it was FEMA. And I said, you know what? That's a pretty noble profession that people would leave their families, come halfway around the world to help me because, you know, I'm in need. Right. And I said, that's, that's a little more powerful than reading sports scores at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> um, and so I was really intrigued with it. So started a career in FEMA, and, but traveled all the time. I was traveling all the time and uh, uh, my wife and I wanted to settle down and have kids. And I knew this lifestyle wasn't going to work. My family was a medical family. My father was a doctor. My mom was a paramedic. So I grew up in a medical family and I was looking for another profession that would also help people. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that's why I got interested in physical therapy. Went off, got a master's degree in physical therapy, um, started a career in physical therapy and then 9-11 hit. Right. Um, And when 9-11 hit and FEMA said, hey, can you come back? I knew that's where I needed to go. And so 9-11 changed that career path. Um, And I came back to emergency management because of 9-11 and have been with it ever since. It's powerful. So you have this really impressive career and we were talking about lessons in leadership and you actually visited New York City Emergency Management to talk about your role in leadership. How would you define leadership uh, for our listeners? Empowering people to do their job. Uh, I really think that's the key to good leadership is to empower people to use their skills, to use their mind, um, to build confidence that they can do the job and to tap into their moral well-being. In emergency management, I think most people are in emergency management because they have a moral sense of wanting to help people. Right. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. you can tap into that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the best leaders of I, that I've ever had and the leader that I try to be is to empower my staff uh, to be the best that they can be. I don't give them tasks. Um, I give them the vision of what needs to be done. And I want you to create that uh, task in your own vision. And I think that's been very successful for me in the past. Now, when you look at emergency response, and you mentioned this in your talk earlier uh, with the staff, uh, you talk about information and why that is key to people who uh, may have survived an emergency. Can you talk a little about that uh, for our listeners? Yeah. In my 27 years, I have certainly uh, met a lot of disaster survivors. Mm -hmm. And while food is important, 
water is important. All disaster survivors want to do is um, be empowered again. Because right. when you lose everything in a disaster, you lose your sense. You lose the core of who you are. Mm -hmm. You feel uh, you have no power because everything that you know uh, is now gone. Right. And information is the start to give people empowerment back. Um, I always tell my staff, you've got to give them information that is action-oriented. Give them something that they can do. Give them someplace that they can go and start to build that confidence that they themselves can control their own recovery. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, they come out on the other end far greater than if you just give people something. If you right. just constantly give them food and water, they'll just consume it. You must give people empowerment to take back control of their lives because they've lost that sense of that. Yeah, it's, you know, it's the saying that we always hear about, you know, give someone a fish they can eat for one day, but teach them how to fish and they'll be able to eat for a lifetime. Yes. Absolutely. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, same analogy. Skills. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. People often say that knowing how to lead is, is only half the battle. Understanding leadership and, and actually leading are two different activities. So what are the key traits that make someone a successful leader? I personally think the most important trait is listening. Mm. Um, when you can listen and take suggestions, take advice, I think that is so important. When you are just one of those leaders that thinks that you know all the answers right. um, and you can dictate all that needs to be done, then you're just doing it somebody else's way. But I like to think that I want to listen to the ideas of people. I want to hear what they have. When they ask me a question, oftentimes I turn that back around and ask them the question, what would you do? How would you handle that? And then you can start to see them start to think about it. And you know what? When they come up with an answer, it builds their confidence. Right. And when you build somebody's confidence, they're more empowered in their job and they're willing to take risks. They're willing to step out there. They're not afraid to fail. And boy, you've just managed, you've taken an employee who is uncertain of themselves and you've created something that as a leader, you just stand behind and you watch it happen and you let it go. Yeah. Don't get in that way. <laughs> so what would you consider are some of the biggest challenges you have faced as a leader? For me, it's uh, in my position, it's building a cohesive team. Mm -hmm. um, in my position, oftentimes when we come together in disasters, we have strangers that come together as a team. They've never worked together before. You don't know personalities. You don't know strengths. Those are challenging things. I talked about some books that I've read that talk about personalities and how certain personalities work best with other personalities mm -hmm. and how you meld those teams. Um, those are the biggest challenges I have is building a team instantly. Because when we go out, FEMA goes out on disasters, I don't have two weeks. I don't have three weeks for people to get to know each other, mm -hmm. understand their personalities, what their skills are. I need to manage that in day one. And that's a challenge. So I spend, I spend a lot of time um, studying psychology, mm -hmm. um, reading about how people perform, reading books about people. And uh, um, because you have to understand that aspect when you're going to build a team of people who uh, normally don't work together. Right. I think yeah. it's important you go into that mindset without any preconceived notions that everyone's going to come to the table with a different, you know, personality, um, different, you know, set of actions that they would like to take. But ultimately, in emergency management, we say this, the common goal is to help one another. Yes. So thank you for that. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'll one quick story, if I may. I had a, a 
a gentleman who came into a disaster, asked him to do a, a task. It was back in the days before um, social media or electronics. He had to clip newspaper articles, clip newspaper articles. Um, and he did the job. Um, about three weeks later, uh, we had a chance to sit down and talk. And I asked him what his background was. He was a former two-star general. Wow. He didn't once ask and say, that's not my responsibility or that's beneath me. Right. He knew the job that needed to be done. He clipped the newspaper articles, taped them on a piece of paper. And that's the task that he needed. I felt embarrassed at the time, um, <laughs> but that taught me a lot about, you know, when you go into those situations, you got to put all of that behind you. You just got to meet the need. It's funny you mentioned that. I remember I actually started at New York City Emergency Management um, a few days before Hurricane Sandy made landfall in New York City. And one of the tasks that I had was uh, putting together flyers, especially that because communication was down in a lot of neighborhoods, there were power outages. One of the things that we had done was we had to create, you know, documents for people to, you know, read and ingest and get the information that they needed. And one of the parts of that was making copies, administrative work that most people might say in a typical day to day setting. That's not my job. I don't mm -hmm. need to make copies. In a disaster, everybody makes copies. Yes, right. absolutely. Yeah. And that, it's a humble lesson learned. Yep. You have to put that ego aside mm -hmm. and just do what needs to get done. Absolutely. And so when uh, um, retired two star general, I tell that story. Every time I'm in a training class, yeah. um, leave your ego at the door. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to switch gears a little to uh, leading during a crisis versus leading on a daily basis. Um, how is your approach to leadership different in each situation? I think when you get into a crisis, um, you're instantly thrown into chaos. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are two ways that you can go when you're leading. You can either add to the chaos with your hair on fire <laughs> or you can present calm and focus. And I think my experience over the years is those leaders who are calm and focused under the most intense pressure are the ones that come out the end on the other side in a much better situation because staff is looking at what your demeanor is. And if you're chaotic, they're going to be chaotic mm -hmm. um, and not focused. But if you can sit and, and clearly um, portray to them a vision of what needs to be accomplished in a very calm manner, it makes them calm. And then they're able to focus and do the job. So I think that's the difference between uh, blue sky and gray sky uh, days. Mm -hmm. um, when you're in that crisis situation, to develop a calm and a focus. And that's what's been successful for me in the past. So how can one develop such skills? I mean, you know, we say this, you know, having the calm demeanor is obviously important during, you know, blue sky times. So you could transfer that to a gray sky time. But how do you actually practice that and, and develop that skill? Put yourself in uncomfortable positions. Um, challenge yourself to do things. When I came to New York, I'd never ridden the New York City subway. And when I got off the train, I could have either taken the cab and gotten right here, or I could have tried to figure out the scariness of riding the New York subway. And so I challenged myself mm -hmm. at that moment to ride the New York subway. And you know what? I did it. When I got off that subway, I was proud of myself. Right. Internally, mm -hmm. I said, you know what? You did it. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> um, and so that's an example of I, I challenged myself in a scary situation um, to do something, and now I'm more empowered. So when I leave here and I got to go back to Penn Station, I'm hopping on that subway and I know I'm going to get there. Yeah. Um, there you go. And that's empowering. And I think one of the other things is for a leader not to be afraid to ask questions, right? Because I mm -hmm. feel like sometimes as leaders, people may think that. Oh, I have to have all the answers, but no. And, and you've spoken about this in the past as well. Uh, you can't be afraid to just uh, loop your team in 
and let them know that, hey, I need you just as much as you may need me. And I'm not afraid to ask you for the questions. To me, it is not a weakness for a leader Mm -hmm. to ask for help. Right. I think that's what a leader is, identifying a moment in time where they says, I need help too. Because why is there the perception that a leader knows everything, knows all the answers and doesn't need any help? I think that's where leaders fail when they don't ask for help and put and recognize that there may be somebody else that has some information or some ideas that might be a little better than mine and let's use them. Right. But when you do that, give them credit for it right. uh, because then that empowers them the next time to not to be afraid to speak up. So let's talk about, you're talking about communication. Let's talk about communications and leadership. So why is crisis communications critical during a time of disaster? Because it empowers people to make decisions. I think a lot of times we send out information that isn't action-oriented for people to take action on. There are many times there's this um, seems to be incessant need to pat ourselves on the back and say, here's all the good things that we're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And that doesn't happen to a person who's lost their house, doesn't really have, you know, help somebody who doesn't have food or water. Mm -hmm. Um, But if I can tell them where to go, how to get it, what steps they need to do. Because there isn't, a, there isn't a person in this country who's ever had a disaster happen to them and immediately go, oh, I know all the steps to recovery. Mm-hmm. I know exactly what to do. That, that, you don't learn that in school. You, know? you don't mm-hmm. learn that anywhere. You only learn that when it happens to you. Yeah. And we live in a society where that's not going to happen to me. So when it happens, you're really looking for information on how to get out of that situation and what you can do to empower yourselves again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's, that's what's so critical in crisis communication um, and timeliness. I think it's very important when you give people information, you must give them that information at a time when they're able to receive it and are willing to receive it. One of the things we've said in the past is, and even for Hurricane Sandy, within the first couple of days, um, somebody wanted to put out information on mold. It's not the time. I'm like, it is not the time nope. to talk about mold. Mm-mm. We are still in a crisis response situation, right. but they were steadfast on, well, we need to get some information out on mold. I go, you know, there will be a time when people will want to listen about mold. It is not the time. So if you mm-hmm. talk about mold on the third day of the disaster, it's going right over their head. Yeah. Um, right. And, and then when they really need to know about mold, you're going to say, oh, I already told them about it. They need it. Right. No, you need to give people information about the things that interest them at that moment in time, because that's when they will listen to it. Otherwise, you've lost them as an audience. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. One of, one of the other key um, factors, I think, is for us as emergency managers, especially when it comes to communicators, is getting out into the field and actually meeting with people. Um, you know, I've been, uh, I've responded to Puerto Rico uh, for the earthquakes, North Carolina for Hurricane Florence. And one of the things that I've seen is that when you get out there and you meet with people, you talk to them, you smile with them, you give them a hug. It really helps you to understand what they're going through. And then I can come back now and communicate with them better because I can empathize. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I require my staff when we go out on disasters within the first couple of weeks to go out with some team that's going out or just go out by themselves um, and talk to a disaster survivor, see their homes, see the plight that they're in. Because mm-hmm. when you come back, then you know why you're there. Right. You know why you're working a 12 hour day uh, and stuff because there's somebody who doesn't have anything. So it, it's it's crucial that you maintain or gain that empathy mm-hmm. uh, for them. If you just show up in an office building 
uh, two hours away from a disaster and you work for two months and you go home, you know, you don't have the same thing. Yeah. I also, at the end of the day, when we have meetings, I ask my staff to tell me how they impacted a disaster survivor that day so that they, throughout their day, um, can stay focused on why I'm here. What's my purpose being at this disaster is to help a disaster survivor. And there are a lot of times they're like, you know, I'm just copying papers and stuff like that. Well, your copying papers allows somebody to do their job, which allows somebody else to do their job who's touching a disaster survivor. So it's that six degrees of separation. You have to find that for everybody um, mm-hmm. so that they feel important in that operation. And I think those things are key. Absolutely. Is there a communication success story that you would like to share with, with our listeners? Along with what we were just talking about, mm-hmm. I was out on a disaster and I was going out, going door to door to talk to individuals, let them know how they can apply for assistance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I came across um, a family that was deaf, hard of hearing, and they weren't receiving information. Uh, they didn't have anybody that was stopping in on them and uh, immediately recognized that they didn't have anybody that was talking to them. Mm-hmm. So got an uh, American Sign Language interpreter um, sent it to the house and literally saved their lives because we now understood what they needed. Right. Um, and we spoke their language. That is so crucial in disaster survivors. Mm-hmm. When, they, when you can engage them with people that they're familiar with and speak their language, it automatically develops a trust factor um, and they trust you. So this case, we now had somebody who spoke their language. We understood what their needs were. We got them assistance. We got them food. We found them new housing literally changed those people's lives because we were able to speak their language. Uh, and I'll never forget that. You know, it was very, um, when that whole situation was done, it's the reason why you work in emergency management because you, you, uh, you actually knew how you help somebody. Any last words of advice for our listeners who may feel as if they aren't leaders and just may want some encouragement on how they can go about uh, leading? Don't be afraid of what's in front of you. I spoke to a a woman uh, within the last half hour and she says, you know, I'm kind of shy, not sure. I'm always scared to to do something like that. And I go, you know what? When you can push through that fear, when you can push through that uncertainty, on the other side is confidence. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when you get to the other side, it's empowering uh, and you're going to love it. So uh, don't be afraid to to put yourself in challenging positions because I promise you on the other side is... uh, is a much better way. I like that a lot. For me personally, I I feel as if sometimes, you know, um, I'm afraid of failure, right? How do you speak to having people understand that it's okay to fail and it's something that you don't necessarily have to be afraid of? Oh, there's no such thing as failure. It's called a lesson learned. Mm. Um, That's what it is. Um, If you can channel it in in a way that um, whatever you experienced, right or wrong, it was a lesson learned. Right. And coming out of that, um, if you're better for it, then it wasn't a failure because you learned something. Don't focus on failure. Don't be afraid to fail. It's, it's part of life. Um, embrace it, learn from it, and move on from it uh, in a lesson learned. So I always tell my staff, hey, you can fail 10 times, but that one time you come up with an idea that is life-changing, wow, look at what a difference you made. Rebranding failure. I think that that's something we need to uh, yes. teach to everyone. Yeah. So our prep talk listeners, rebrand failure. Don't be afraid. And do something that scares you. It's a lesson learned. There you go. So it is rapid response time. And if you are a first time listener, it's simple. Omar and I will ask questions and our guest will give the first answer that comes to mind. 
If you don't know, now you know. You're listening to Prep Talk, the emergency management podcast. It's time for Prep Talk Rapid Response. Okay, Marty, what is the one emergency item you cannot live without? Flashlight. A lot of people say that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. (laughs) Power. We all want power. There you go. (laughs) Lessons in leadership. We want power. Yeah. Figuratively and maybe uh, literally as well. (laughs) What is your favorite TV show? Any documentary on Netflix. Mm -hmm. I love documentaries. What's the last one you've seen? I'm putting you on the spot, I guess. The last documentary? Yeah. American Factory. It's about, uh, it's about the, the closing of factories in the United States and how communities are impacted by that. Oh, wow. wow. All right. So we have something to uh, add to our list of Netflix shows for this weekend, Allison. Uh, I, I, have, I have like a laundry list of Netflix yeah. shows I still have to catch up on. Okay. We're a little busy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you have a list, but name one leader you admire. Deanne Criswell. There we go. For our listeners, that is our commissioner here at New York City Emergency Management. I learned a lot from her. I really did. So what is the best leadership advice that Commissioner Criswell (laughs) may have told you? (laughs) Uh, Don't be afraid to fail. You know, um, go out there and be the best that you can be. And don't worry what what happens, uh, because if you're doing the right thing, it'll all work out. Sum up the work you do in one word. Meaningful. I like that very much. I didn't mention this. I didn't ask this question earlier. Um, but you have an accent, so I, I have to ask it now. Where, where are you from, Marty? <laughs> uh, I grew up in a t- or uh, was born in a town of 250 in North Dakota, mm. uh, and grew up in Illinois. I am the definition of not a city kid. Uh, <laughs> lived in small towns my whole life, but uh, um, but really was brought up in a family that um, that focused on uh, service. Again, both of my parents were in the medical profession, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I saw them serve people every day of their life, uh, and that stayed with me. And, you know, once I got through my, you know, fantasy of being a TV sportscaster, um, <laughs> the, the core of who I really was and how I grew up uh, settled in with me. And that's why I've been working in emergency management for the past 28 years. And as a leader, I think that's just the key to leadership. Service. Service and yep. empowerment. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, the hours are long. The dedication is long. Um, I don't ask for any ribbons, but the amount of birthdays that I've missed of my kids growing up, um, school events because I've been out helping other people. um, I missed a lot of my family growing up uh, because I was out helping other people. But now my kids, they want to help people. Mm. It's instilled in them that service is a good thing. Right. And so I think in, in some ways I've helped to shape my kids uh, in doing that, but understanding that there's a lot of sacrifice in this in this profession, but that's just what we do, and I think that's why we do it. Goes back to a lesson that we talk about on Prep Talk all the time: emergency management is a shared field. It is a shared responsibility mm-hmm. for us to work together and help others. So we thank you very much for being with us. All right, Marty Bomonde, thank you very much for joining Prep Talk, and for our listeners, you can become a leader in emergency management. All it takes is a little confidence, and don't be afraid to fail. That's this episode of Prep Talk. If you like what you heard, you can listen anytime online or through your favorite RSS feed. Until next time, stay safe and prepared.